it's easy for somebody who is driven by feelings to make mistakes, serious mistakes, about God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice, and this is Bible Discovery TV. As we learn and discover the Bible, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I am going to be combining my segment again today with Mom. We're going to be combining it today and taking a look at the enemy's speech from Isaiah 36. Ryan. All right. Well, today I'm exploring the ruins of an ancient biblical city known as Tel Arad, where there's possible evidence of Hezekiah's godly reforms. All right. That's what we're going to do today as we go through the Bible and learn more about it. It's very, very good. They're coming up in about 20 minutes' time. That's going to be great. I'm coming up in about five minutes' time. So let's open up the Bible guide and learn what God is saying to us right now. Isaiah 36, 1 through 10. Now it came to pass in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but there are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar? Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants, and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Isaiah chapter 36, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 36 and chapter 37, that's what we read as we continue to go through the Bible and, and track what Isaiah, this brilliant writer, is saying. You know, in our sinful human condition, it's easy to get God wrong. Believe me, it is. I've done it many times. You see, we can blame God wrongly. We can even thank God wrongly or for wrong things. And this is demonstrated by 
the foreign army invading Judah in the time of the prophet Isaiah. You see, though there were given military success by God as a consequence for Judah's sinfulness, they were wrong in their belief about Judah's God. Rab Shaketh, an appointed spokesman for the king of Assyria, boasted wrongly. He had God's purposes backwards. He claimed that in destroying the idols in the high places of Judah, that Hezekiah had dishonored God. That's not true. And that God was now upset with Hezekiah and the people. That's not true either. Though the current physical reality would have made it seem like the Assyrians had a good point, they were way off base and would eventually reap the consequences of their own sin. Now, this makes me wonder how often we misunderstand God when life seems to be going our own way. We need to learn on God's word how to inform us of who he is and how he works and not to rely on our own present feelings or our own life circumstances. We need to listen to the word of God and we need to learn about what God truly says his success is. Now that's important. As we focus on this, take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage because it's going to be interesting, I can tell you. And uh, let me just say that if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we'll send you one. That's exciting. Another way you can get a hold of yours, your seconds away, is go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. It'll take you to a place where you can download it exactly like we have it. And uh, you can have the Bible guide in your computer and you can print it or you can just keep it on your computer, whatever you want. Put it on your phone, put it on your iPad, whatever you want to do. And you can follow us. It's very, very exciting. Now, as we focus on this, the wrong God, when we worship God the wrong way, when we blame God for the wrong things, we end up believing in the wrong God. So we need to get this straight. Lord, help us today as we study this and learn about what uh, Rabshakeh said uh, to all the people of Hezekiah, all the people in that time as they surrounded Jerusalem. And then, Lord, we learn about what you did. In the name of Jesus Christ, we need to know you, Father. So help us to hear this today. And all of us said together, amen. Make it so. Now, as we look at this, let's understand what we're seeing here. Isaiah is writing about a circumstance, a situation that he came up against, and he puts it in pen. Here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 36, verses 1 to 7. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Syria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. He took the cities. Then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh, with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Jonah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Verse 4. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great 
king, king of Assyria. What confidence is this in which you trust? I say to you, speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in a staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is to all who trust him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before, or you shall worship before this altar. Boy, that's interesting. Now listen, it's easy for someone who is driven by their feelings to misunderstand God. It's easy for someone driven by their feelings to misunderstand God. We must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, not on our feelings. We must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, not on our feelings. I have a dollar. On this dollar, a U.S. dollar, here's what it says. In God, we trust. What does that mean? In God, we trust. Doesn't mean your feelings. Isaiah 36, 8. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to put riders on them. He continues to mock. And bribery is always a part of Satan's kingdom. When we try to make deals with the Lord, we do not understand him. I had a friend who said, I'm going to make a deal with you and God, Rod. And I kept telling him, God doesn't make deals. You come to God. You confess to him and tell the truth. That's how you get with God. Very, very important. What happened? Well, let's go back to the scripture. Nine to 10. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. The Rabshakeh knew that the Lord had commissioned him and his king to destroy Israel. We often do not know who God really is. Let me tell you something. Rabshakeh had no idea who God was because here's what happened. Hezekiah and Isaiah, they went to the house of the Lord and they prayed with this letter. Lord, look at this letter. This is what they just said about you. Do you know what God did? The angel of the Lord came out in one night and killed 185,000 men surrounding Jerusalem. Now who's he going to talk to? The people did nothing. They rested in God's peace. God did the work. That was a miracle of God. What an amazing story here that we see in this passage of Isaiah. Beloved, may we hear the Lord today and may we understand that we have to repent and come to God and allow him 
to help us in this day. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Welcome back to the program. Today I want to take you to the ancient biblical city of Tel Arad because there have been some amazing discoveries here which just might directly connect with King Hezekiah and his father Ahaz. And these two were contemporaries of Isaiah. Now just for some background, King Ahaz was absolutely evil in God's sight because he made molded images for the Baals, he set up high places in all the cities of Judah, and burnt incense to other gods, and he even went so far as to burn his own children in the fire. Now, thankfully, when his God-fearing son Hezekiah took over the throne, he put a stop to all of these debaucherous acts, and he even broke down the high places. Now, what's interesting is that there's a temple at Tel Arad that might be one of the places of Ahaz that King Hezekiah dismantled. Check it out. Located on the very edge of the Judean desert, approximately 80 kilometers south of Jerusalem, lie the ruins of an ancient biblical city known today as Tel Arad. So named because it is situated on a mound, or Tel in Arabic, and is located only 10 kilometers west of the modern Israeli city of Arad. Among these ruins, at the peak of the site is a fortress, and in that fortress is a temple. And in that temple, there is a room with pillars and a stone that some believe to be the Holy of Holies. Interestingly, this is the only temple discovered so far within the boundaries of the Kingdom of Judah. And when this site was originally excavated in the 60s and 70s, archaeologists dated it to around the 10th century BC, the time of King David and Solomon. They also noticed that at the top of the two pillars of the shrine, there was an organic residue. But due to the limited technology of the time, scientific analysis of these substances was inconclusive. However, more recent teams of archaeologists have made some truly game-changing discoveries. For example, while it is still believed that the site itself dates back to the 10th century BC, archaeologists now think that the temple was built later, probably around the 8th century. Also, after several decades, archaeologists were finally able to identify the mysterious residue upon the two pillars, and in 2020 they published their findings. While the big pillar contained remnants of frankincense, which isn't surprising, the smaller pillar had a very well-preserved residue of cannabis. And it was mixed with animal dung, which acted as a fuel so that when it burned, the cannabis plant could reach the needed temperature to produce a mind-altering experience. Curiously, archaeologists also found evidence that the temple was purposely buried over only a few years later. As a 2002 archaeological report says, there are no signs of destruction by fire in the temple, but rather clear evidence of intentional cancellation. What's so exciting about these newfound discoveries is that they correlate extremely well with biblical history. While it's true that there were a few Judean kings who lived during the 8th century, one who really stands out is Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. 
Second Chronicles 28 says that Ahaz didn't do what was right in God's sight, and that in every Judean city he made high places to burn incense to other gods. This is quite notable in light of the cannabis and frankincense discovered in the temple at Tel Arad. It also shows the extent of the Judeans' defiance against the Lord. Not only did they violate God's command by having a temple outside of Jerusalem, but they dared to burn impure fire also. If this indeed was the work of Ahaz, then its intentional cancellation a few years later may be direct evidence of Hezekiah's godly reforms documented in the books of Kings and Chronicles. So this report today provides a really interesting window into the past, but I believe it's also a window into our present world. The people of Judah were mixing their worship of the one true God with impure ideas and practices, pagan ideas and practices, and they were being led astray, and they were ultimately destroyed for it. And many Christians, or so-called Christians, do the same exact thing today. And once you do that, then it's no longer true Christianity. So we have to stop being sucked in by the world's ideas and practices because those ways ultimately lead to death. Just because some of the world's governments are legalizing certain things doesn't make them right or good. Instead, we need to get back to God's word so that we know what God's standards are. We don't get to decide. There's a right way to serve God and a wrong way to serve God. And there is truth and there are lies. And I pray that our worship, love, and service for God would remain pure. God, like a loving father, is trying to protect us from harm. There's truth and there's lies. And it's not, I mean, it's an objective truth. It's not like your truth is your truth, my right. truth is my truth. Uh, and that's, that's what we need to say. And people need to hear us communicate that because that's important. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ryan. Very good. Corey? All right. So as we blend our segments together today mm -hmm. to discuss Isaiah chapter 36, I want to take a look at the, uh, the Ramshaka's speech, uh, this, this spokesperson, uh, for King Sennacherib as, you know, they've, they've destroyed all the cities in Judah. Now they've come for Jerusalem and everyone's holed up in the city with Hezekiah. And, um, really Sennacherib is making a lot of sense from a human standpoint, which is very terrifying. And he does, he, he takes it from two angles. We, we've, we've learned that Hezekiah has, uh, kind of prepared both ways, the country. He's prepared physically and he's prepared spiritually. He's gotten the country right with God and he's made preparations for warfare, including alliances and food and, and all of that stuff. Right. So the, the messenger from Sennacherib comes and says this in the hearing of all the people. Okay. He's speaking Hebrew, which means he might originally be an Israelite or a Judean who has defected. But he says this, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt. Here comes, he's going to do, he's going to, betray that he's going to talk about their physical and then their spiritual and then their physical and then their spiritual. I know that you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt to all who depend on him. We're not afraid of Egypt. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord, our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. He knows they can't. Mm -hmm. he, they don't have trained chariot and, and horse riders, but it's a flex, right? 
Verse 9, how then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. So puts this, 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 it's the perfect, from the spiritual standpoint, it's the perfect speech because we know the country was divided over Hezekiah's reforms anyway. They had been happily worshiping both God and other pagan gods at these high places for generations mm-hmm. since Solomon. Okay. And, and it, they could justify it by going, well, ba- Samuel was a godly man and Samuel worshiped God at different cities. So why can't we? They could justify it. But idolatry had been going on. So Hezekiah pulled it back. But in the backs of their minds, they were probably wondering, is this the right thing to do? And then here comes this enemy and he's using that to really try to to mess with their brains and get them to question, was this really the right thing to do? Or is God really just trying to get us? Right. Is he really just trying to get us? And this, it strikes me that this is what the enemy does. And... He comes in and he's speaking their language. Yeah. Like it says here, you know, Eliakim, Shebna, Joah said to him, please speak to your servants in Aramaic. <laughs> yeah. Because don't, don't, don't speak in Hebrew because now all the people can hear what you're saying. And so the enemy can even speak and use the same kinds of words as yes. well to really try to kind of trip us it's up. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Come on Come over on to my, my side. side. Exactly. And, and there's right? two classic examples. Like everyone uses them of temptation, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Eve and we've got Christ, right? Yes. And it strikes me because this is what Satan did to Eve, yes. right? Did did God really say this? And Eve, Eve's first mistake was not checking what God actually said, right? She probably should have stopped and been like, wait, what did God actually say about this and gone and looked looked at it? But the second mistake that Eve made was trusting her own judgment. The Bible says that she looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good to eat. This makes sense to me. You could justify this. Fruit was made by God to be eaten. Its purpose is to be eaten by humanity. Why shouldn't I eat it, right? You can rationalize this this action. Mm -hmm. We can rationalize our own sin. But the question is, when it comes down to questions like this, who are we going to trust? our own rationalizations or what God has said. This is why it's really important to go back to what God has said. And Isaiah does this, right? He goes and he lays, he, he lays this before God and he's going, okay, God, you're the king really. So here's what's going on. What's going on. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think it's just really interesting that this is par for the course for what Satan does does throughout the scripture. And you're right. Hezekiah does lay that before the Lord and yeah. say, look at, what, look at what they're saying. What should we do? Yes. What should we do? What should we do? What Which is do? the appropriate reaction. Yes. Because we, you know, when we're, tr- when, when we are confronted with moral conundrums, because we will be in this life, we know that we all are, especially Christians living in Western culture. We are, we're, we're faced with these moral things and we have all of this argumentation coming at, coming at us. Uh, even argumentation over the Bible. Does the Bible really say this? Or, or, or maybe it means this. Those are legitimate questions to ask, but there's an answer, guys. Like we can go back and we can look at it and there's an answer. However, 
However, with Eve, you can see how she could have justified the fruit, eating the fruit. Because after all, that was the purpose of fruit that God had given it. So when, when we feel like, for example, like with our, with our bodies, we, we have, and, and just with our beings, we are born with certain impulses. Well, just because God created us with impulses, should we just then follow those impulses wherever they lead? What about when the Bible tells us that, those, that we can't fulfill those impulses? Who do we trust? Ourselves, those impulses? Or do we default to God? So who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust ourselves? Or are we going to trust God? And we see the results with Hezekiah. Exactly. Hezekiah chose to trust God and in so doing, save an entire city. In save fact, 185,000 men were, were killed. Overnight. Of the enemies. Uh, of the enemies. On the, on the were enemies. killed overnight. Yes. Yeah. And, and they had no way of knowing that. They had no way of knowing how God was going to do this. Mm-hmm. God just said, be still. And then they woke up in the morning and there's 185,000 men mm-hmm. gone, dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's stunning. That's a miracle. It's terrifying. And it's so it's, yes. The bottom line is who will we trust? Is it in our own impulses or is it in the word of it, it, what God has said to us? And the only way that we can know that is to know his word. Yeah. And to read it with that authority. And when there is, and Ryan, oftentimes your segments will deal with, you know, is this a problem? Is that a problem? Mm-hmm. Is this contradictory? And those are always really good questions to ask. They're questions to ask. And God has given us brains to think on that. But bottom line, in whom? will we trust? Mm -hmm. And that is so key because when you see here, this enemy comes into the territory and he's speaking their language. Oh yeah. And you know, it's the same with us. When we hear somebody who's proclaiming to understand the Bible or know the Bible or quoting this verse or misquoting that or talking about God in a way, if we have that relationship with God, there is going to be somewhere in our heart where we know that doesn't sound quite right. And this is where we need to come to check on that, Mm -hmm. the authority of God's word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. South Korea is very, very important, and we need to pray for South Korea. They've had a great uh, revival back 20 years ago, and they pray for this side of the world. So, Father, we pray for South Korea. They're living on the border with North Korea, a very threatening place. We pray for the people there. Revive the people and bring them back, Lord, and we thank you for them and help the Christians there in Jesus' name. And we all said together, Amen, and make it so.